Welcome to Role-Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role-playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 68, Patricia Pulling, Bad, and the Satanism Panic with Dungeons & Dragons. Before we jump into this week's subject, I wanted to take another minute to thank Devlin Donnelly for last week's subject, and I should point out he's already hit me up with some other ideas for subjects, and I can assure you we'll be getting to them in the coming weeks. So again, I really do take your suggestions seriously, so keep them coming. Alright, so this week's subject is going to be a bit darker and more serious than what we usually cover, but in my opinion, any podcast covering the history of role-playing games has to cover today's subject matter. Otherwise, you can't call yourself a history-based podcast. Again, that's my opinion. Your opinion may vary. And you know me. I don't pull punches when I'm covering subjects. And so I want to get a content warning out there before we get rolling that we will be discussing suicide and mental illness in today's program. Keeping that in mind, I wanted to let you know that a phone number we should all have handy is 988, which is the new number nationwide for those who are feeling suicidal or who know someone who is. And by the way, that's nationally in the United States. I know there are numbers in other countries around the world, so check your local mental health centers for that information. Also, if you or someone you know are dealing with issues relating to mental health, there are resources available to you. Now, they vary by city, county, state, and country, so if you need help, you can Google search mental health resources in your area or check with your local health department. So, there are resources available if you need them, and if you're concerned about being triggered by some of today's subject matter, I certainly understand if you shut off today's show. I would remind you that we've got a second show, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along, so if you haven't tried it already, it would certainly be a much more lighthearted show than today's subject. Now, with all of that in mind, it's time to crank up the tour bus and get to it. Overall, the role-playing industry as a whole has consistently come under fire for connections to Satanism, witchcraft, suicide, murder, pornography, and other subjects considered by many in society to be inappropriate. However, Dungeons & Dragons has historically been the game shoved into the headlines as these various issues have been brought up and addressed. Much of that can be attributed to the subject matter. I mean, you've got wizards and other arcane spellcasters who have spells and rituals that can raise the dead, battles that can turn into epic slaughter fests, and artwork, at least until about the 2000s, that was definitely titillating, to say the least. There are a number of counter-arguments to make to all of this, and we'll get into both sides of the discussion as we work our way through today's show. As the role-playing game industry rolled towards the end of the 1970s and was becoming more and more popular, the first of the major reported stories surrounding Dungeons & Dragons came out. On August 15, 1979, James Dallas Egbert III, who was a student at Michigan State University, left his dorm room after writing and leaving a suicide note. From there, it was reported he'd entered the university's steam tunnels. Now, overall, Egbert wound up being missing for several weeks. Now, how did this disappearance tie into Dungeons & Dragons? First, after he was eventually found, Egbert reported that the day after he'd left his dorm room, he'd left the steam tunnels and gone to a friend's house to, in his words, hide. That day, August 16th, 1979, just happened to be the day Gen Con 12 opened in Wisconsin, and as the investigation progressed, there were a number of folks who attended the convention who had reported seeing Egbert there. The next source that tied the two together was the private investigator hired by Egbert's family to try to find him. William Deere is the man's name, and once he learned Egbert had played Dungeons & Dragons, he decided to play on that fact. 
Now, this wasn't a new theory, as the police who'd been part of the search had floated it as a theory at some point during the investigation. Though many who've detailed the investigation over the years have noted the police weren't really taking that very seriously. Deer, on the other hand, did. He found out that some students at Michigan State had been playing D&D as a live action, or LARP, in those very steam tunnels. And he theorized that Egbert must have gotten hurt or lost while playing in a live action session in the tunnels. Again, this wasn't all his theory, but as one who promoted the loudest, he's the one most often attributed to having theorized this. Now, the media being what it is even then, this story was latched onto and broadcast nationwide. And through my research, I can confirm it was picked up by news carriers around the globe. And again, in their usual manner, the media fanned the flames even higher, calling Dungeons & Dragons a secretive and bizarre cult, the type that people could only join by invitation. Yep, those comments and comments just like them were actually broadcast on actual, real news programs. Check YouTube out if you're curious. Hell, I might even link a few of them to the Bad GM YouTube channel. Just check it out and see for yourself. It should be noted that while Deer had all of these wild theories about Dungeons & Dragons, it's been proven since then he had basically zero knowledge of the game before he took the case. Another thing that needs to be noted is that James Egbert had a history of suicide attempts, which today would be where any competent investigator would begin his search. In Deer's case, though, he attempted to tie Egbert's mental health to Dungeons and & Dragons, and the media ate it up, reporting pretty much every one of his statements as the God's honest truth. Now, before we get into how this case got further tied into Dungeons & Dragons, let's wrap up the search for James Egbert and end his story. One thing that should have been a bigger deal than Dungeons & Dragons in this case was a story published in the State News, which is the Michigan State newspaper. On August 24th, Michael Stewart reported on the case and reported that Egbert had been known to leave campus for destinations unknown in the past. Granted, the media machine did pick up on this, but seemed to discard it when the sexier story involving Dungeons & Dragons came up. James Egbert later reported he'd moved between two houses in East Lansing, Michigan, which is where Michigan State is located. Later, he left the city by bus and traveled to New Orleans. Egbert admitted he'd made a second suicide attempt while in New Orleans by taking cyanide. From there, he made his way to Morgan City, Louisiana, and got himself a job. He spent four days on that job before finally reaching out to William Deere and telling him where he was. Deere then traveled to Louisiana to get him. Now, an interesting side note to this is that Egbert apparently asked Deere to hide the truth of what he'd done during his disappearance. Even more interesting is the fact that Deere chose to do so. Egbert was released into the custody of his uncle on September 13, 1979, but I have to say his overall story does not have a happy ending. On August 16, 1980, James Egbert died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Now, I wanted to bring James Egbert's story to a close before getting back into the controversy out of respect for him. It should be noted that in the years since this incident occurred, mental health professionals who've examined the case believe that Egbert's disappearance was due to clinical depression and stress. Deere himself changed his theory on the case. In the 1984 book, The Dungeon Master, he full-out rejected the link between D&D and Egbert's disappearance. He stated he believed it was due to Egbert's mother, who was reported to have been domineering, as well as struggles with his own sexuality. Whether or not this was what Egbert told him in Louisiana five years earlier is difficult to determine. However, once the ball linking D&D to suicide and Satanism had been started, it just kept on rolling. 
In 1981, Rona Jaffe wrote a fictionalized version of the case for her book, Mazes and Monsters. That book was turned into a made-for-TV movie in 1982. In my personal opinion, both the book and the movie are just complete garbage, and it's not just because of the bullshit links between D&D and mental health. The basics of both the book and the movie are that college friends play a game called Mazes and Monsters in an abandoned mine near their college campus. During the game, one of the friends has a psychotic breakdown. Oh, and the friend who has the breakdown was played in the movie by a guy you might have heard of, Tom Hanks. In 1983, the TV show The Greatest American Hero got into this game, having college students playing their game LARP style in the steam plant of the university. Also in 1983, our Canadian friends got a flick of their own called Skullduggery. It used a D&D type game that was a tool of the devil that transformed an innocent young man into a serial killer. And in 1984, Neil Stephenson wrote The Big U, which is a satire of universities as a whole. However, he includes several LARPers playing sewers and serpents in the university sewers. Needless to say, all of these incidents tied together caused a hell of a panic among some parents and religious leaders, many of whom began to rail against the role-playing game industry as a whole and D&D specifically. One thing that should be noted, though, is that all of this protesting had the opposite effect of what they were hoping for. It's been reported by several sources that the per-month average sales for the D&D basic rule set prior to Egbert's disappearance were probably somewhere near 5,000. By the end of 1979, they were about 30,000 copies a month, and as we reported before, would only increase for several years. The panic was on, though, and it wouldn't take too long for the anti-D&D crusade to get a leader. Her name is Patricia Pulling, and her crusade against D&D came from a personal tragedy. Her son Irving committed suicide by gunshot to the chest on June 9, 1982. Irving had been a D&D player prior to his death, and Patricia believed the game was the reason he'd killed himself. Her first steps were to sue his high school principal and TSR because of what she called the D&D curse cast on Irving's character shortly before his death. Both cases were dismissed, but Patricia had determined D&D was evil and she was going to prove it to the world. In 1983, she created the group Bothered About Dungeons & Dragons, or BAD for short. In literature published by BAD, D&D was described as, quote, a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, necromatics, divination, and other teachings. End quote. This is usually the point where I'd make some sort of smart-ass comment about the ludicrous nature of that statement. However, as incorrect as I believe it to be, I'm also empathetic to the cause. I mean, if my daughter killed herself, I'd probably be looking for a concrete reason to hang it on as well. And I work in mental health. So while I disagree with her philosophy, I'm not going to hammer her right now like I normally would. And if we're being honest, some of her claims are true. D&D did or does have gambling, desecration, demon summoning, necromatics, and divination depending on the character setting and DM. I'm not going to say that some of the others aren't possible as well, but I will say that most of them wouldn't be acceptable at my table. Also, I've had the blasphemy discussion a time or two over the years, including with my aunt, who happens to be a minister. 
It's probably been 20 years or so by now, but she and I had a very long conversation about it. And it was because she wanted to understand what my interest in the game was. But that's a conversation for another time. Maybe a YouTuber website exclusive. The TLDR on that conversation is ultimately we came to an understanding and she has supported my playing and this podcast ever since. Anyway, let's get back on track and get back to bad. One thing we need to understand is that Bad was essentially a one-woman show. Patricia Pulling took her crusade to conservative Christian media, where she was widely accepted. These outlets also promoted her message to their viewers outside of her appearances, warning that D&D players were in league with Satan and would most certainly go to hell. Bad also got their materials published and distributed in Australia through the Reverend Fred Nile. His Federation for Decency took up the cause Pulling was promoting and spread the word around the country. But Pulling wasn't finished by a long shot. She got a private investigator's license and began working as a consultant to law enforcement. Her primary role was to act as an expert witness in gaming-related lawsuits. Needless to say, none of the lawsuits she testified in won. And I know you just asked a question about gaming-related lawsuits. There were a bunch of them over the years. Most were filed after the deaths of teens and preteens who'd been playing role-playing games. D&D, in most cases, before their deaths. Bad and conservative Christian media were among those who not only encouraged these suits, but provided witnesses for the trials. Again, I'm trying very hard to play this seriously, but you have to remember how a panic gets going. A few people report that they've had something negative happen due to a particular thing, the media gets a hold of it, and the next thing you know, tons of people have experienced the same thing. See the heavy metal suicides, video games blamed for murders and suicides, and other lawsuits of that type over the years. Let's get back to Patricia Pulling. In 1984, she became one of the directors for the National Coalition on TV Violence. That group, along with Bad, would get a moment in the sun in 1985 when the news program 60 Minutes ran a segment on D&D. Now, I was able to find a clip of the segment online, and Ed Bradley, who was a much-respected journalist at the time, hosted that segment and commented, quote, It has become popular with children anywhere from grammar school on up. Not so with a lot of adults who think it's been connected to a number of suicides and murders, end quote. Polling was interviewed for the segment, along with Dr. Thomas Radecki, who was the president of the National Coalition on TV Violence at the time. Gary Gygax was carrying the flag for D&D and was asked to counter Radecki's argument that the game could be linked to 28 murders and suicides. Gygax had a classic statement in response. Quote, this is make-believe. No one is martyred. There's no violence there. To use an analogy with another game, who is bankrupted by a game of Monopoly? Nobody is. The money isn't real. There is no link except perhaps in the mind of those people who are looking desperately for any other cause than their own failures as a parent. End quote. Now, Gary's response was a bit harsh, especially now that we better understand mental illness. But his tone pretty much mirrored that of nearly every gamer who was fighting the stereotype at the time. Patricia Pulling continued her advocacy. In August of 1989, a book she co-authored, The Devil's Web, Who is Stalking Your Children for Satan? She suggested that all police officers should open interrogations of teenagers suspected of occultism or Satanism by asking the question, have you read the Necronomicon or are you familiar with it? The issue here, though, is that she attempted to state that H.P. Lovecraft's Necronomicon and the Simon Necronomicon are one and the same. For those of you who don't know, let me clue you in. Lovecraft's Necronomicon is a complete work of fiction. 
The Simon Necronomicon is also a work of fiction. However, it's actually been published as a book. It draws on Lovecraft's creation along with a number of other sources. In other words, Patricia Pulling was attempting to suggest that law enforcement use works of fiction during interrogations in an attempt to find guilt in suspected occultists. Needless to say, her popularity with the supporters she'd picked up over the years began to lose steam at about this point, and things would only get worse for her. Next up was an interview she did with a reporter where she claimed that 8% of the people living in Richmond, Virginia were Satanists. When asked how she came up with that number, she proudly announced she'd estimated that 4% of adults and 4% of teenagers were Satanists, and since 4 plus 4 equals 8, it had to be 8%. The reporter politely explained to her that that's not how the math for percentages works out, and she attempted to recover by stating that regardless of how you got the number, she believed 8% was a conservative figure. In 1989, Michael A. Stackpole, who we discussed a couple of weeks ago, waded into the fray. He wrote Game, Hysteria, and the Truth, in which he went on the offensive against Patricia Pulling and Bad specifically, and the hysteria surrounding D&D in general. In the work, which you can still find online, he noted every flaw, misconception, inaccuracy, omission of relevant detail, and questionable practices she used. One questionable practice he called out was the fact that she'd edited newspaper articles she'd used in some of her pamphlets so that they'd more accurately reflect the message she wanted to spread. Stackpole noted the lack of ethics that are involved in doing that, and also noted that technically by doing the editing and reprinting them without permission, she was breaking the law. Since news articles are copyrighted materials that she was using without the permission of the owners. I'd noted in Stackpole's biography a couple weeks ago that he'd pointed out gamers actually commit suicide at a lower rate than the general public, and Stackpole stated it was a fraction of the rate of their peers. And he wasn't finished either. In 1990, Stackpole published The Polling Report, where he went all in on the criticism of the collection of data and statistics Bad had been using since its inception. He also noted in that work that Polling had been misleading her followers and the press about her qualifications. And that was the final straw. Due to the backlash she received from Stackpole's works, Patricia Pulling quit bad in 1990. However, she would continue to crusade against D&D until her death in 1997. Since bad was her creation, it basically died when she did. Now, before I move forward on the timeline, I want to take a minute and move backwards since we covered a lot of years while we were discussing Patricia Pulling. Another player in the anti-D&D game got involved in 1984. That's when the Chick Tract titled Dark Dungeons was published. A Chick Tract is a short evangelical text that works text from the gospel into various situations the authors believe to be immoral in order to promote Christianity and to save the readers from going to hell. That's their stated purpose. They get their name from Jack Chick, who wrote or co-wrote pretty much all of them. Dark Dungeons follows the story of a girl who manages to get herself involved in Wicca through her playing of Dungeons and Dragons, which is specifically named in the track, by the way. D&D, the text argued, gave her the occult training she needed to get into Wicca. However, she realized the error of her ways, converted to Christianity, and saved her soul from hell. Which, by the way, is what the text flat out says anyone who plays D&D is headed. For the record, if that's the only reason I'm headed to hell, the bar's set pretty damn low. Dark Dungeons was used by a number of different anti-gaming groups as a part of their disinformation campaign, bad being just one of them. There is also a movie based on that particular tract, and it came out in 2014, and no, I didn't watch it. Sorry, but my need to provide you with as much information as I can on a subject only goes so far. 
I've got a couple of more 80s-based incidents to get to, so I apologize for the timeline being a bit off as we shift. The reason for it is I want to cover a subject to its conclusion before I move on to the next one, so we're not necessarily going in a straight line today. The next incident that brought D&D negative publicity was a murder case in Washington, North Carolina in 1988. Chris Pritchard, who was a student at North Carolina State University, stood accused of organizing the murder of his stepfather, Leith von Stein, for money, specifically his $2 million fortune. Von Stein, along with Pritchard's mother, Bonnie, were bludgeoned and stabbed by a masked assailant in their bedroom. Leith died while Bonnie was badly injured. Investigators quickly learned that Pritchard and his stepfather had had a very antagonistic relationship over the years, and it was also discovered that over the previous year, Pritchard had picked up a drug and alcohol habit while attending NCSU. However, the focus of investigation soon turned to D&D. How? A game map, drawn out on graph paper like a D&D adventure map would be, was found. This wound up placing the blame for the murder on Pritchard and his entire game group. Neil Henderson and James Upchurch were ultimately implicated in the plot. They were convicted and sent to prison in 1990. For the record, Upchurch was determined to have been the masked intruder. He was actually sentenced to death, but that was commuted to life in 1992, and he is still serving that sentence. Pritchard and Henderson have since been paroled. Of course, there were some authors out there that just couldn't resist the possible link between D&D and the murders. Two of these, Joe McGinnis and Jerry Bledsoe, each published books that played up the link. What both books shared was a hyped-up focus on the influence James Upchurch had on Pritchard and Henderson as the dungeon master of the group. Bledsoe's book was Blood Games, and it was turned into a TV movie called Honor Thy Mother in 1992. McGinnis's book became a two-part TV miniseries that same year called Cruel Doubt. One other common link between the two books and movies were that they took D&D handbooks and altered the artwork to make it seem like they inspired the murders. For the record, no direct link to D&D as a cause of the murder was ever definitively proven. And besides, any of us who GM a game know that we don't have that much influence over our gamers. I'm lucky if I can get them all to remember to bring their dice half the time. Just saying. If protests against something typically caused it to fail, TSR would have failed in the mid-80s instead of the late 90s. As I noted a moment ago, all of the hoopla caused exactly the opposite. D&D sales overall in 1979 had been reported at $2.3 million. By the end of 1980, they'd nearly quadrupled to $8.7 million. However, TSR was feeling heat from all the attention and decided to make some changes in an attempt to improve their image. All references to demons, devils, and any supernatural monsters that they thought might cause issues were removed when the second edition of AD&D was published in 1989. Instead of devils and demons, we got Byatsu and Tenari, or the general term of fiends. TSR was very careful for years to not use the words devil or demon, even though for gamers it was obvious what they were supposed to be. In fact, a large majority of gamers never even bothered to use the new terms. They kept right on calling them what they'd always been called, protesters be damned. TSR further tried to change up those little fiends by playing up the extra-dimensional aspect of them rather than the hellish one. Again, at most tables, that change didn't take either. But the changes did seem to have the desired effect. The combination of changes to the material, combined with the general public's interest in moving on to other things, caused the moral panic to basically come to an end when the 80s did. 
1991, the American Association of Suicidology, the United States CDC, and Health and Welfare Canada all said the exact same thing. There is no link between fantasy gaming and suicide. A 2005 study highlighted that after 1992, it was unable to find anything on the subject other than retrospective examinations of the various cases. So, panic's over, right? Well, this is going to be one of those yeah, but situations. Let's roll forward on the timeline and see if I can make it make some sense. When Wizards of the Coast purchased TSR in 1997, they decided that since the moral panic had basically subsided, they'd bring back some of the classic terminology from the old books. Wizards doubled down on this with the release of the books A Paladin in Hell in 1998 and A Guide to Hell in 1999. Monty Cook had been tasked with beginning this reintroduction, and his marching orders came from no less than Peter Atkinson, who was the president of Wizards at the time. Monty Cook has admitted over the years that he had no issues with bringing demons and devils back. According to multiple sources, he'd always believed the removal of those terms was nothing more than lip service given to silence those critics who'd come after the game over the years. As I mentioned a moment ago, even with the reintroduction of terms, gamers have tended to use the old and new terms interchangeably, or on a table-by-table, game-by-game basis, or they never picked the new terms up anyway, so it didn't matter. Of course, if those who protested AD&D 1st Edition thought terms could get a bit extreme, 3rd Edition would have made their heads explode. Wizards and the creative team didn't hold back. Demonology got a much broader coverage than it had ever had, and the descriptions were much more to the point and occasionally explicit than they'd previously been. The one concession made in 3rd Edition, however, that it was made plain as day that associating with these types of creatures was definitely an evil act. And the core books for 3rd edition? Oh, those were just the appetizer. In 2002, Wizards released The Book of Vile Darkness. It's the first D&D book I ever remember seeing that had a mature audience label on it, which should tell you something about the content. It contains rules for alcohol and drug addiction, cannibalism, mutilation, sacrifice, and sexual fetishes. Which, if you want to be honest about it, plays right into the points Patricia Pulling had been making nearly 20 years before. And let's be honest, a whole lot of that material hasn't aged very well. I own a copy of the book, because I pretty much own every book that came out for 3rd edition in 3.5, and I pulled my copy while I was doing my research for this episode. In the 20 years since it's released, we've learned a lot more about mental health and mental illness, we've seen the Me Too movement come into being, and we've become better informed about the LGBTQA community, which makes a lot of the materials in this book inappropriate in the present. Some of it probably should have been inappropriate then, but I'll admit to having been interested in the book at the time, so you know what? I'm going to take my blame right here. Go right ahead. Bad GM. Tracy Hickman, who is one of the co-creators of Dragonlance, put it best at the time. Quote, it's cheap, trashy, and demeaning, and every dark fear that mothers and clergy across America have had about D&D is now suddenly true. End quote. In 2003, Wizards released a book on the opposite side of that coin called The Book of Exalted Deeds. It also came with a mature audience label on it and dealt with the extreme elements of the good alignment because we were still somewhat focused on alignments at that time. It covered aspects of real-world religion shoehorned into the D&D style with things like stigmata being covered. It also brought forth a number of ethical questions, many of which were intended to make players uncomfortable when they were addressing them. Like I said, I own both of these books, and my commentary on them is this. 
They, they really tried too hard. I mean, it's obvious Wizards was looking to be edgy with these books, but when you look through them, it's obvious to me that somebody got a group together and threw out the statement, what's something you've always wanted to see in D&D rules that you wouldn't dare suggest? Once they had a dry erase board full of content, they went off and created the most suggestive stuff they could think of. And trust me, if you've read the books, they both can be rather suggestive in their own ways. And that includes the artwork. Definitely not suitable for younger gamers. Or if you're easily offended. <sighs> All right, why don't we get away from that particular segment of the show and move towards closing out the topic. In 2016, the New York Times reported that moral panic over D&D had definitely subsided. Their reasoning for this was that, quote, parental anxieties have turned to videos, especially those dripping with gore, end quote, as well as the violence of some video games, like I mentioned a minute ago. Radley Balco reported in the Washington Post that, quote, the direct consequences of this particular moral panic weren't as severe as some others. It mostly involved efforts to ban the game and, of course, led to ostracizing the kids who played it. The larger trend did have some pretty devastating fallout, particularly within the criminal justice system. And for those who are fans of Stranger Things, you know this panic served as part of the plot for season four of that fine program. And if you haven't gotten to season four yet, I apologize for the spoiler. Stranger Things, by the way, is one of those things that is now being credited for helping D&D and the role-playing hobby as a whole see an increase in gamers and interest. But that's another show that we will make at some point. Okay, let's close with some research. Since I've always said, if you don't have good research, you don't have a good point. Researchers outside of the bad orbit have been investigating the emotional impact of D&D since the 1980s. Studies have shown that depression and suicidal tendencies are not typically associated with role players. Feelings of alienation are also not typically associated with mainstream players, though those who are deeply and often financially committed to the game do occasionally have some of those feelings. According to one study, there is no significant correlation between years of playing the game and emotional stability. I mentioned that several high-profile organizations had studied suicide rates. Let's take a closer look. The levels of suicide among RPG players in relation to national statistics on youth suicide in Canada and the United States show that while the overall level of youth suicide, and that's ages 15 to 25, was 5,300 per year, there had only been 128 suicide attempts by game players recorded by BAD and affiliated organizations between 1979 and 1988. Furthermore, most of these claimed suicides were simply accumulated, unsourced newspaper clippings, often referring to the same incident over and over. According to the estimated number of RPG gamers in the country at the time, there should have been at least 1,060 gamer suicides in the same period. Consequently, the finding of the report was that suicide among RPG gamers was actually significantly lower than national averages for the age demographic of 15 to 25-year-olds. And in the interest of being open, I got that from the American Association of Suicidology. Here's one more before we go. A 2015 poll of psychiatrists suggests that nearly all psychiatrists do not associate role-playing games such as D&D with poor mental health. And if you want to hear me expand on that, catch the episode I did on gaming and mental health in the archives. So with that, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week, we're going to do a two-for-one show covering the storyteller system and the Palladium role-playing game. So... I've been asked by several of our Twitter followers if we're ever taking the Bad GM Productions team on the road. I am happy to announce that we'll be making our first ever convention appearance in two weeks. 
We'll be attending Archon 45 in Collinsville, Illinois on Friday, September 30th through Sunday, October 2nd. We have a table at the con. It's actually table number one. I just got confirmation on it. So we're going to be hanging out there. We'll have banners. We might have some swag there. I'm not going to definitely say we will or won't, but you'll definitely want to come on by and check it out. We'll, we'll talk. We'll discuss the podcast. We'll talk about ourselves. We'll talk about gaming. We will talk about whatever you want to talk about if you come on by. To get more information on Archon 45, head to their website. I'm going to spell it out for you. A-R-C-H-O-N-S-T-L dot org. As always, I would greatly appreciate it if you check out our other fine production, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. That's the show where we build an entire campaign for you to run for your group. And at present, we're working on a Deadlands classic game. So if the Weird Wests interest you at all, give the show a listen. Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube, Bad GM Productions. You can email us at badgmproductions at gmail.com. Or check us out on the web. The site is badgmproductions.net. And by the way, if you didn't catch those when I gave them, we put them in the episode information for each show. And there are links to all of the socials on the website. That's all one word, badgmproductions.net. Okay, so next week we check out the Storyteller System and the Palladium role-playing game. Make sure you check that one out. (laughs) But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis in your role-playing history.